Once again, to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so, or even if you don't write a review, giving us five stars on iTunes also helps us out greatly. And finally, don't forget that we also have the Patreon page set up, patreon.com slash rawattitudepodcast, where you can get lots of great stuff like bonus episodes, my nearly 700-page Attitude Era encyclopedia, and even the option to pick your own episode all great options there. So right off the top, I want to let you know that our next show, episode number 55, will be a very special mega episode. William Rankin, the host of the New Blood Rising podcast, will join the show to talk about the January 4th, 1999 episode of Raw, and also the episode of WCW Monday Nitro, which aired on the same night. Why are we covering both Raw and Nitro from January 4th? Well, let's just say that many people consider this to be the last gasp for WCW in the Monday Night Wars. They put on a three-hour show live from the Georgia Dome, while Raw is pre-taped from Worcester, Massachusetts, and let's just say that the decisions which are made on those two shows on that night will have monumental impacts on both companies going forward. So definitely tune in for that mega-episode of the Raw Attitude Podcast with William Rankin, because it's going to be a fantastic show. But in the meantime, this will also be a fantastic show as well, so on that note, let's get into Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, December 28th, 1998, and we are live from Pepsi Arena, formerly known as Knickerbocker Arena, in Albany, New York. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include the 1992 Royal Rumble, where Ric Flair won the WWF Championship in the Rumble match, No Mercy 2000, and a whopping 17 episodes of Monday Night Raw, including the very important show which took place the night after WrestleMania 14. Clearly, they enjoy coming to this arena. We open the show with a recap of last week's episode of Raw, where a few noteworthy moments occurred. Number one, Mankind was beating the crap out of Shane McMahon, but Commissioner Shawn Michaels prevented the corporation from interfering for some unknown reason. And number two, at the end of the night, Kane appeared and attacked Degeneration X, seemingly joining the corporation. We then got footage from last night on Sunday Night Heat where Vince and Shane revealed that they let Kane out of the insane asylum, but they will send him right back unless he does exactly what they tell him to do. So now we have an explanation. Kane has not gone corporate, but rather he's being used as an attack dog against his will by the McMahons. From there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include I'm the Blue Blazer, Sable, How Come You Taste So Good, I Love Porn, I Need Batteries, 
the whole fucking show. Good job getting that one by security. Val can't get laid in a morgue. Slap my butt cheeks. I am the three-time world karate champion. Owen Hart likes little boys. And perhaps the most charming sign of them all, your pussy must stink. Well, all right then. We officially start the show with the corporation, including Kane, arriving backstage. Shane asks Vince why he hasn't fired Shawn Michaels yet, and Vince tells him that he is indeed going to fire HBK tonight as soon as he comes to the arena. In the meantime, they want to focus their attention on Mankind, the man who beat up Shane last week on Raw. The corporation then enters the boiler room and starts looking all around for Mankind. Eventually, Mick jumps out and blindsides Test, but the numbers game is too much for him to overcome, and they beat Foley down. Vince McMahon then tells Mick that he is going to give him a shot at the Road Dogs hardcore title tonight, and they leave him lying in the boiler room. However, when the corporation exits, they hear that Road Dogs music is already playing in the arena. It appears that Commissioner Michaels has already scheduled Road Dog to defend his title against Val Venus tonight, so Vince says that those plans may be about to change. We then cut to the arena where Road Dog comes to the ring first, and he gets in his usual routine, but he has now updated it to call himself the Hardcore Champion of the World, so that's good. Also, if you listened to the last episode of this show, you'll likely remember that I read an email from Raw Attitude podcast fan Jeffrey, who expressed his appreciation for one of Val Venus' particular promos. Well, on this episode of Raw, Val actually does that promo that Jeffrey mentioned in his email last time, so let's take a listen. Hello, ladies. You know something, for the next couple of days, this leg will be known as Christmas, and this leg will be known as New Year's. So ladies, why don't y'all come visit the big Valboski between the holidays? So Road Dogg and Val do end up wrestling for a bit, but then, just a couple minutes into the match, Kane, Test, Ken Shamrock, and the Big Boss Man all head down to ringside. Val then hit Road Dog with a side Russian leg sweep, stood over him, and started gyrating his hips. But Tess ran into the ring, hit Val with a bulldog, and that caused the referee to call for the bell. Yes, you heard that correctly. We just had a disqualification finish in a fucking hardcore match. I've got to assume we won't be seeing too many of those. So the corporation members then pull Val out of the ring and start beating him, which causes the other members of D-Generation X to run into the ring and stand guard alongside Road Dog to protect him. Several members of DX, by the way, are now rocking brand new shirts, which say, quote, If you can't beat it, suck it. So do what you will with that information. From there, Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe now show up at the top of the ramp. Vince has a microphone, so let's take a listen to what he has to say. Well, 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 it seems to me... Road Dog. Look who's here! Yeah, I can see, King. Due to circumstances beyond your control, Road Dog, this match is officially over. Not to worry, however, because later on, Road Dog defending your hardcore championship but it won't be it won't be mr dog 
against Val Venus. Oh, no. You'll be defending the hardcore title later tonight against your newfound friend, Mankind. Whoa. Oh. Now, as far as all of DX is concerned, X-Pac for Bronco busting. My son, Shane, last week in the ring. Yeah. We just started with you, pal. And that goes for each and every one of the members of DX. Every one of you is going to pay. Nobody ridicules the McMahon family. Nobody laughs at my son, Shane. Nobody. Right. That'll take place tonight, live. And by the way, apparently, there's a little DX left in the commissioner, Shawn Michaels, as well. Because Michaels not only did not come to the aid of my own flesh and blood, an innocent young man simply doing his job, simply doing, in essence, what is his birthright. No. Michaels actually held the corporation back from coming down to help my son. The moment Commissioner Michaels arrives in this arena, if I have to drag him down this ramp myself, I will. And I'm going to put him in the ring. And I'm going to humiliate him. And I'm going to publicly fire his ass just like I wish I could do each and every one of you. <laughs> so there you have it. Road Dog will defend his hardcore title against Mankind. Shane is looking for revenge on X-Pac since he hit him with a Bronco Buster last week. And Vince is claiming that he will publicly fire Shawn Michaels in the ring tonight. Certainly, we have a lot of things set in motion, so stay tuned to see how it all plays out. We then cut backstage where we see Al Snow, who is apparently still covered in blood from that bloodbath he received at the hands of the brood last week. And I'll just point out that last week's episode of Raw was pre-taped six days in advance, so technically, that means that Al has been covered in blood for 13 straight days. That can't be sanitary. And since this episode airs on December 28th, that means that he was presumably opening his Christmas presents while covered in blood, or, if he's Jewish, lighting the menorah while covered in blood. Either way, I'd say the holidays were ruined. We can also see that Al has shaved off all of Head's hair, and he has placed black duct tape over Head's mouth as well. Clearly, Al Snow has gone crazy Er. And after commercial break, we go backstage where Vince McMahon is speaking with Kane, and while he's doing so, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe are making faces and mocking Kane behind his back. Vince is actually pretty forceful with Kane here, demanding that he look at him while he's talking to him and asking him if, quote, anyone was home. Vince then says that Kane may have taken out X-Pac last night on Sunday Night Heat, which is true, he squashed him quickly in the main event, but he wants another member of DX to go down tonight. We then segue back into the arena for our next match, the still-covered-in-blood Al Snow, accompanied by the freshly-shaved head, versus Edge, who enters through the crowd this week. So early on in the match, Al hit Edge with a scoop slam, then he went to the top rope and hit a really nice-looking moonsault onto Edge. Instead of covering him, however, Al started yelling at Head, who was apparently giving orders to him. So Al then exited the ring, grabbed a steel chair, and went to the top rope again, appearing ready to hit another moonsault, but this time while holding the chair. Instead, however, Edge recovered and picked Al up on his shoulders while he still had the chair, and he then gave him an electric chair drop, chest first, right onto the chair. Another nice-looking spot there. 
After that, however, Al simply ended up grabbing Head and repeatedly smacking Edge with it, which, of course, resulted in yet another disqualification. Gangrel and Christian then ran down to help out Edge, followed by the job squad rushing out from backstage to provide some backup for Al. And meanwhile, however, Al Snow just ran off through the crowd with Head, leaving the two factions to fight it out in the ring. I dare say, he may not be all there. After commercial break, we cut to footage from earlier today, where X-Pac was talking with Dennis Knight, the former Phineas Godwin, who we haven't seen on Raw since late September, when he was one half of the tag team Southern Justice. We don't hear what they're saying, but Cole informs us that Knight was telling X-Pac that, quote, He told me to be here, but we're not sure who he is. And if you aren't already familiar with this angle and where it's going, oh boy, you are in for a... A uh, treat, I guess? Yeah, let's let's call it that. From there, we go back to the arena, where it's time for our next match, and it's a match for the WWF Women's Championship, Champion Sable versus Challenger, the Spider Lady? Interesting. And speaking of people we haven't seen since September, if you recall a few episodes of Raw from that time frame, you'll remember there was a mystery woman in the front row during Sable's matches who was cheering her on. Well, that same woman has now returned, and, instead of just sitting ringside, this time she enters the ring before the match and presents Sable with a yellow rose. Security quickly ushers her away, and, in case you need a reminder, this is actually the woman we will come to know as Tori. That's T-O-R-I, not Tori Wilson, although funny enough, Tori Wilson will actually be debuting in WCW in just a few weeks. But what about Sable's opponent tonight, the Spider Lady? Well, when Spider Lady comes to the ring, she's dressed in all black with a mask over her face so we can't initially tell who it is. And before the match can even begin, she jumps Sable from behind and beats the crap out of her, including removing her own belt and whipping Sable with it. Eventually, the oddities ran down to the ring to stop the attack, and by the way, as of a week ago, the newest member of the oddities is... George the Animal Steel for some reason, so he's out there too. So they come down to help out their friend Sable, and Golga proceeds to hold back the Spider Lady, and from there, she unmasks to reveal her identity to the world. Yes, it turns out that Luda Vachon was the Spider Lady the entire time, and really, shouldn't the oddities have kind of figured that out since she wasn't with them when they ran down to the ring to help out? Seemed pretty obvious. But anyway, Luna then yells about how the oddities don't understand her, and how, quote, it's about me and what I deserve, so it appears that she may have had enough of her freakish friends. And also, I have to point out what Michael Cole said in that clip about how Sable has done so much for the oddities, and Luna in particular. That strikes me as pretty amusing because we've barely seen Sable interact with the Oddities or Luna at all since August when she helped to reform them from angry societal rejects into fun-loving goofballs. Sable's been too busy since then doing anything else. But now, some of you may be asking the question, why did Luna call herself the Spider Lady? Well, this was clearly a reference to an incident which has since come to be known as the Original Screwjob. 
You see, back in 1985, Wendy Richter was the reigning WWF Women's Champion, but she had been having some disagreements with Vince McMahon, either over her contract or her compensation, depending on who you believe. So with that in mind, Richter defended her title at Madison Square Garden on November 28, 1985, in a match against the Spider Lady, a masked woman who was dressed in a costume pretty similar to the one that Luna wore on this episode of Raw. Richter was told that she would be going over, but at one point during the match, Spider Lady rolled her up in a small package, and, well, let's take it all the way back to 1985. Spider going, oh, small package! Nicely executed. Whoa, was that close? What was that? Referee made a three count. Appears that the referee has made a three count. And Wendy, the champ, look at that. It is Moolah. It is Moolah. Take a look, Jess. Look at this. Wendy scoops her up in a backbreaker. However, I think this match is over. I don't know what the result is, Gorilla. We got chaos here. I don't understand it. We're going to have to wait for the referee's decision. I think the referee made a three count, Jess, on the champion. So, despite the fact that Wendy Richter clearly kicked out at one, the referee kept counting to three, making the Spider Lady your new WWF Women's Champion. A confused and angry Richter then proceeded to tear off Spider Lady's mask, revealing her to be the fabulous moolah of modern day not having a battle royal named after her fame. Howard Frankel announced that Spider Lady was the new champion, and Richter promptly quit the WWF and left the arena, never to wrestle for them ever again. Thankfully, however, the story did end up having a happy ending, as Richter was eventually inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2010, so all's well that ends well, I suppose. But I guess the real question here is, why did Luna call herself the Spider Lady on this episode of Raw? It might have made sense if they were going to do a shoot and have Luna legit take the belt off Sable, but that obviously didn't happen here, since we never even got an official match. I suppose the only answer I can come up with is... Vince Russo. There you go, folks. I wish I had a better answer for you. And after a commercial break, it is now time for a WWF European Championship match, Champion X-Pac versus Challenger, the Big Boss Man. For those scoring at home, the Boss Man lost his hardcore title to the Road Dog last week, but he is still one half of the WWF Tag Team Champions, along with Ken Shamrock. Got all that? Good. So Bossman dominated most of the early part of the match, and the highlight was probably when he took the time to yell at the crowd that, quote, Degeneration X can suck my ass. Always a classy guy, that Bossman. Eventually, X-Pac managed to turn the tide and hit Bossman with a Bronco Buster, and, I have to say, when Pac was setting up for the move, the crowd popped huge. They love the fucking Bronco Buster right now. Unfortunately, after Pac hit it, the corporate insurance policy test emerged from backstage and stood by at ringside. It seemed like that would spell trouble for X-Pac, but shortly after test arrived, Val Venus showed up and jumped him from behind as payback for the corporation attacking him earlier tonight. Bossman then exited the ring and punched Val in the face, and for some reason, that caused referee Mike Kyoto to call for the bell, resulting in a disqualification. And so, just to recap... The big boss man, who was in the match, rolled out of the ring and punched Val Venus, who was not in the match. 
and somehow this resulted in a DQ. Your guess is as good as mine, folks. After the match, Val and X-Pac brawled with Bossman and Tess for a while until a group of officials came down to ringside to separate them, and it certainly seems as though this may end up being a tag match on the next episode of Raw, but I guess we shall see. And also, for those of you scoring at home, so far we've had three matches on this show, and all three have ended in disqualifications. Vince Russo, creative genius. From there, we cut to a pre-taped montage of Shane McMahon helping to train his father for the Royal Rumble match. He's motivating Vince in the gym by yelling inspirational phrases at him and forcing him to drink raw eggs while bootleg Rocky montage music plays in the background. It's funny stuff and it's a pretty memorable segment, so let's take a listen to some of it here. All for you, baby. How bad do you want it? Austin, Austin, Austin. What the hell are you doing? We're four weeks out. Four weeks out. It's good for you. That? Yeah, perfect. I'm going to train. Yeah, we're going to train. Need a little energy to train. Here we go. Let's go. Down the hatch. How bad do you want this? Endurance, endurance, endurance. The key to the rumble is to stay afloat. It's endurance. Pull it, pull it, pull it. Yeah, that's too easy. Come on, come on. Pull it. Austin, Austin. Too Austin. heavy, Austin. 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 Fuck it, too heavy, my ass. Look at that. Pull that up. I must say, I find it pretty amusing that Shane is constantly yelling at Vince about how the key to the rumble is endurance, when Vince is currently booked to come in at number 30. Nice little touch there. And after a commercial break, it is now time for our next match, Goldust and Steve Blackman versus Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, who are accompanied by Deborah. On his way to the ring, Owen is actually wearing a brand new shirt of his, which I forgot existed. It's a black shirt with yellow writing on the front that says, Enough is Enough, and on the back it says, It's Time for a Change, with a picture of a clock standing in for the word time, and the number four standing in for the word four. Initially, I thought, who the hell would ever buy such a shitty-looking shirt? But sure enough, during his entrance, they do indeed show two fans in the front row who are wearing that same ugly shirt. All in all, though, I'm assuming it wasn't a big seller. So a couple minutes into the match, Owen managed to put the sharpshooter on Steve Blackman in the middle of the ring, with Michael Cole doing a bit of revisionist history and saying it was the move that Owen invented. That's right, Owen invented it. Certainly not that older brother of his. No, sir. No, sir. Although technically, I'm pretty sure Brett didn't actually invent the move either, because Ronnie Garvin beat Greg Valentine with the sharpshooter at Royal Rumble 1990 before Brett ever used it, but that's a whole other issue entirely. But getting back to the match, when Owen locked the sharpshooter in on Blackman, Dan Severn started walking down the aisle. Severn is still sporting a neck brace from when Owen broke his neck on Raw back on September 28th, and we haven't seen him on the show since he confronted Owen face-to-face -face back on November 2nd. Upon seeing Severn, 
Owen releases the sharpshooter, heads outside of the ring, and starts apologizing to him. But then, when Severn continues walking toward him, Owen begins backpedaling around the ring until he makes it to Jeff Jarrett and Deborah. And at that point, Jarrett helpfully puts Deborah in the way so they can hide behind her. Owen then rolls back into the ring, but unfortunately for him, Steve Blackman then just rolls him up for the one, the two, and the three. Your winners, Steve Blackman and Goldust. And after the match, Severn merely starts walking back up the ramp as Owen, Jarrett, and Deborah start following behind him, pretty much reversing the roles they all just had. A few seconds ago, Severn was stalking them and they were cowering, but then once they lose the match, they're stalking Severn and he's seemingly looking to get away from them. Really bizarre. And after a commercial break, we get footage from during the break where Dennis Knight was getting into his car and getting ready to leave the arena, but the acolytes jumped him. Farouk and Bradshaw then proceeded to beat the shit out of him in the parking lot, throw him into the trunk of his car, and drive away. Remember that Knight had earlier said that he told him to be at the arena today, so whoever that was, it certainly appears as though he set him up to be attacked. Perhaps we'll find out who he is sometime soon. From there, we head back into the arena for our next match, and it is for the WWF Intercontinental title. Champion Ken Shamrock, accompanied by Kane, Test, and the Big Boss Man, versus challenger Triple H, accompanied by China, X-Pac, and the New Age Outlaws. Now remember, Triple H won the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam, but then a real-life knee injury forced him to vacate the belt. We then had a one-night Intercontinental title tournament on the October 12th episode of Raw, and it was won by Ken Shamrock, who has held the belt ever since. So tonight, finally... Triple H gets a chance to reclaim his title. And at the start of the match, we get massive Shamrock Sucks chants from the crowd. Now, I know a lot of people are of the opinion that Shamrock's heel turn killed his career, but he's still getting really great heat from the crowd about two and a half months into his run, so that may be a bit of revisionist history. And another amusing thing I'll note is something which Michael Cole says shortly after this match begins. You know, King, we encourage the fans as always... Have freedom of expression at Raw is War. You know, we love the signs, we love seeing them. But who's course, we? Everybody. Not me. And we reserve, we reserve the right when the signs are obscene to take them away. And That's we right. will do that. They should be censored. All signs should be censored, if you ask me. We encourage freedom of expression, folks, but keep it clean. We love seeing all the signs at these Raw is War events. Taking away obscene signs? I thought the whole point of Raw at this time was to bring obscene signs to the shows. Quite a bit of mixed messaging there. I find it amusing that Cole makes this statement, but later on in the show we can clearly see that sign in the crowd I mentioned earlier that says, Your pussy must stink. So obscene signs will be confiscated, but that one's okay. We'll let that one slide. But anyway, getting back to the match, a lot of the focus was on Ken Shamrock working over Triple H's left knee in an attempt to re-injure it, and Hunter actually did a great job of selling it throughout the match. We even got one of my favorite wrestling spots, Shamrock attempted to Irish whip Hunter, but instead Triple H just collapsed to the mat because his knee was too hurt. It's simple, but I really enjoy the logic. Why would someone run the ropes if their knee was injured? They really would probably just fall down, and clearly it's that type of intelligence which propelled Triple H up the corporate ladder. So at one point, the big boss man jumped up on the ring apron to distract Hunter, but Triple H punched him right back down to the floor. However... That was just the opening Shamrock needed, because he then managed to grab Triple H and put him into the ankle lock. Hunter struggled to escape, but eventually he did indeed manage to grab the bottom rope. 
Unfortunately for him, however, Shamrock refused to relinquish the hold. Referee Tim White counted to five and admonished Shamrock, but he still wouldn't release it. So White had no choice but to disqualify him. Yes, that's right. A disqualification finish. I know you must be completely shocked. Billy Gunn then ran into the ring and clotheslined Shamrock to get him to relinquish the ankle lock, and this touched off a brawl between DX and the corporation. Kane, however, was still standing at ringside looking on until Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe emerged from backstage. They told him to go help out the corporation, and so he entered the ring, but DX escaped before Kane could get to them. Bit of interesting booking there, making it seem like the babyfaces are backing down from the monster heel. Don't see that too often, but I think it actually makes sense in this instance. And after a commercial break, we get the WWF Rewind, brought to you by 1010-220. And why do I mention this? Simply for the fact that it caused me to pop huge, because they show a portion of an ad for 1010-220, which featured legendary comedian George Carlin, one of my all-time favorites. So yes, folks, we can say that George Carlin did indeed make it onto an episode of Monday Night Raw somehow. I approve. We then cut to a backstage interview where Kevin Kelly is with Billy Gunn, whose rivalry with Ken Shamrock is apparently escalating. And sure enough, Shamrock does indeed interrupt the interview, and we get a war of words between these two microphone generals. Perhaps the best line here comes from Shamrock, who says to Billy, quote, You want to show your ass? You can kiss mine! And strangely, this doesn't actually lead to a fight between these two, as Shamrock just walks away and Billy doesn't even try to catch up to him. All right, then. From there, we head back to the arena, where Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown are walking to the ring. If you recall last week on Raw, Terry Runnels and Jacqueline seduced sexual chocolate, tied him up, and were seemingly ready to bang him. But instead, they started whipping him, and, according to Jerry Lawler, shoved multiple gerbils up his ass. Hey, I just report the facts, folks. And also last night on Sunday Night Heat, Terry and Jacqueline revealed that they are now referring to themselves as Pretty Mean Sisters, or, if you go by the abbreviation, P.M.S. Subtlety is not a Vince Russo calling card. So Mark Henry grabs a microphone and issues an apology to his girlfriend, China for his actions last week, and he requests for her to come to the ring. Instead, however... Terry and Jackie make their way out from backstage. Terry grabs a mic and cuts a pretty bad promo, but D'Lo interrupts and amusingly refers to PMS as ring rats. He says the two of them are lucky that he's a gentleman, otherwise things may go a little bit differently. And when he says that gentleman line, DX's music plays and China comes to the ring. And so, let's pick it up from there. He may be a gentleman. But I'm not. I guess not. What? <laughs> and I am telling you to, for the first time, for the last time, look at me when I'm talking to you. My mother her, she's in delicate condition. The only time. Stay away from my man. What? Uh-oh, look at this. I don't know if that's a... Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whoa, no! And Mark Henry is loving it! 
fight him. See you later. Listen. Okay, so a couple things here. China initially gets in Dilo's face, making it seem like she has a problem with him, but then she turns her attention to PMS, and as you heard there, she told them to stay away from her man. So yes, it appears that China and Mark Henry actually are together, and Sexual Chocolate wasn't just bullshitting the entire time. The pregnant Terry Runnels then heads for higher ground, but Jacqueline sticks around and mocks China as though she isn't afraid of her. So China grabs Jackie by the throat and shoves her to the ground, giving us all an upskirt shot in the process because, you know, attitude era. And as silly as this segment is, when China shoves Jackie, you can clearly hear a loud China chant from the crowd, so they're definitely into it when she gets physical with someone. And after that, it's a little tough to hear at the end of the clip, but China does indeed say to Mark Henry, quote, I'll see you later, presumably meaning later tonight. So who would have thought that Sexual Chocolate was actually telling the truth after all these weeks? And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that during that clip, Jerry Lawler said, It's true! It's true! So I guess now we know where a certain Olympic gold medalist got his catchphrase. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. And after another commercial break, we cut backstage where we see Kane, Test, Ken Shamrock and the big boss man searching around the arena. Boss man says something to the extent of, we've got to find him, but we don't know for sure who he's referencing. And also, during this segment, when they open a door backstage, we can clearly see some random asshole mugging and waving to the camera, completely burying the seriousness of the moment. It's actually pretty funny to see, but fuck that guy anyway for ruining the segment. From there, since this is now the final episode of Raw, which will air this year, we kick into a video recap of some of the most noteworthy moments in the WWF from the year 1998. It starts out with some rapid-fire clips, but some moments end up getting extended time, including the Austin McMahon feud and the Undertaker-Mankind Hell in a Cell match. Surprisingly, this montage actually takes up six full minutes of TV time, but it is a great recap of almost all the major moments from 1998. Definitely give it a look if you want to be reminded of how awesome the company was 20 years ago. And after that video concludes, we go back live where we see Kane, Test, Shamrock, and Bossman backstage beating the shit out of... The Godfather? Strange choice, but apparently that was who they had been searching for. Michael Cole says that Godfather was scheduled to face Billy Gunn next, but it appears that he may not make it. And sure enough, after commercial break, Billy Gunn comes to the ring, and they do indeed play the Godfather's music afterwards. But instead, Shane McMahon emerges from backstage. Shane says that it appears that Pimpin is indeed not easy, and so he has a substitute opponent for Billy Gunn, and that opponent is Corporate Kane. And yes, Shane actually does say Corporate Kane, so in case you thought that nickname wasn't coined until 2013, you would be sadly mistaken. Kane is actually accompanied to the ring by Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, both of whom are yelling at him, so it appears that he does not want to be following their orders. Early on in this match, I notice that Billy is still doing that annoying habit of his, where he yells wham every time he lands a punch on his opponent. Much like Lex Luger in WCW, Mr. Ass provides his own soundtrack. And only a few minutes in, Billy actually does manage to hit Kane with the rocker dropper, but Kane just gets right back up. 
And it wasn't even one of those cell jobs where Kane lies on the ground for a moment and then sits up. No, in this case, Billy hit the rocker dropper, and Kane just rolled over and got right back to his feet. Nice finisher burial there. Both men eventually headed outside the ring, where Kane threw Billy into the apron, and then he rolled back into the ring. From there, Pat Patterson distracted the referee, which allowed Ken Shamrock to run out from backstage and put the ankle lock on Billy on the arena floor. Kane then brought Mr. Ass back into the ring, hit him with a choke slam, and went for the pin. But Patterson and Briscoe tell him that they want him to inflict more punishment. Sure enough, Kane then does indeed hit another choke slam, but Briscoe tells him that he wants one more. Kane goes along with it and grabs Billy's throat, but before he can hit chokeslam number three, X-Pac runs out from backstage. He climbs the turnbuckles and hits a top rope dropkick in full view of the referee, which, of course, results in, say it with me, a disqualification. Who would have guessed? However, even though it results in a loss for Mr. Ass, it does allow Triple H and the Road Dog to pull Billy out of the ring and remove him from harm's way. DX then heads up the ramp, apparently living, to fight another day. And I know I've said it before, but I will say it again. With the absence of Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker over the past few weeks, they're doing a great job allowing this DX Corporation feud to be the main focus of the show. The crowd is eating it up, so kudos to the WWF for keeping the fans interested, even without two of their biggest stars on the show. After a commercial break, The Rock's music plays, and your WWF champion heads to the ring. He's actually not in a match, but rather he'll be doing commentary for our final bout of the evening, and it is our WWF Hardcore Championship match, Champion the Road Dog versus the man who helped him win the belt last week, Mankind. And when Foley is walking to the ring, I believe we get the debut of what ends up becoming one of The Rock's catchphrases, as he says that he will check Mankind into the SmackDown Hotel, which is located at the corner of Know Your Roll Boulevard and Jabroni Drive. To which Michael Cole simply responds, What? Honestly, can't say I blame him, because at this point The Rock is just layering catchphrases on top of catchphrases. And shortly after that exchange, we cut backstage where we see Shawn Michaels entering the building. Nice of him to show up 90 minutes into a two-hour show. No wonder why Vince wants to fire him. We then get an ad break, and when we return... The Road Dog Mankind match has apparently already started during the commercials. I guess that shows you where these guys are on the totem pole, even though this is technically your main event. Early on in the match, both men brawl up the ramp to the top of the stage, where Mankind briefly goes back through the curtain, and when he reemerges, he's carrying a table, and not one of those gimmick ones they typically use. He basically just drops it on Road Dog, but it only gets a two count from Earl Hebner. When they brawl back toward the ring, Mankind reaches under the ring and pulls out a toolbox, but Road Dog smacks it out of his hands before he can use it. And amusingly, it looks like they used an actual toolbox for this spot because it was full of nails, which are now littered all over the arena floor. And I believe this is the first time we've seen nails in the WWF since his feud with the Big Boss Man in late 1992. Cheap joke, perhaps, but I had to go for it. And then, because this is the Attitude Era, both men start brawling through the crowd, where they eventually get to the technician's area. The highlight here is when Road Dog clotheslines Foley, and he falls backwards into some random tech guy, knocking him into a pile of boxes. Pretty funny visual. However, Mankind soon recovered and pulled out Mr. Socko, and he used it to push Road Dog onto a table. 
From there, Foley climbed up into the stands, leapt off, and hit a massive diving elbow drop, putting Road Dog through the table. Unfortunately for Foley, while that was going on, The Rock had gotten up from his position at the commentary table. Rock snuck up on Foley and proceeded to hit him with a rock bottom onto what Cole refers to as the concrete floor, although it thankfully does look like there is some sort of extra layer over the concrete. Still, ouch. Road Dog then rolled over and made the cover, Earl Hebner made the count, and that was enough to secure the victory. Your winner, and still WWF Hardcore Champion, The Road Dog. Interestingly, though, when Road Dog realizes how he won the match, we can hear him saying that he didn't want to win it that way, and that The Rock is a son of a bitch. The corporation's goal was to drive a wedge between Mankind and Road Dog, but it certainly appears as though there is still quite a bit of respect between the two. And no sooner does Road Dog leave with his title than we get the appearance of Vince McMahon, who heads down the ramp. He grabs a microphone and proceeds to call out WWF Commissioner Shawn Michaels, and the Heartbreak Kid does indeed come to the ring. Vince then cues up footage on the Titantron from an episode of Raw this past March, where HBK said that Vince needs him, but Sean doesn't need Vince. From there, Vince cues up more footage, this time from last week on Raw, where Mankind was beating up Shane in the ring, but Sean held the corporation back and didn't allow them to help him out. And so, let's pick it up from there. And, and look, look, look what's going on. My son's chain, my own flesh and blood. My God, how could you possibly, how could you have done that? Sure, you're one of the great WWF superstars of all time. There's no doubt about that. But as a commissioner, you suck. Oh, whoa, that's telling it like it is. And let me just say this before I leave you with these parting words. Vince McMahon doesn't lay down for anybody. Oh, sound, it in. sound familiar? John Michaels, read my lips. As far as the WWF commissioner is concerned, Sean, you're fired. Mr. McMahon has fired Shawn Michaels as commissioner. That was great. Look, he's thinking like a man. He's a- oh, sweet chin music. Shawn, the sweet chin music to Mr. McMahon. Shawn is knocked out. The owner of the World Wrestling I must say, it's pretty amusing to hear Vince give us such a low-key uttering of the phrase, you're fired, when we're so used to the over-the-top way that he says it these days. But anyway, after Shawn Michaels superkicks him, in a pretty hilarious moment, HBK actually gets on top of Vince and starts humping him. Thankfully, however, the corporation runs out from backstage, and HBK scampers off through the crowd to make his escape as the show comes to a close. However, if you're watching this episode on the WWE Network, we actually get two and a half minutes of bonus footage called Extra Attitude, which shows what happened after Raw went off the air. Shane McMahon, Kane, Test, Ken Shamrock, The Big Boss Man, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe have now come to the ring to lend some help to Vince. The chairman gets to his feet, holding his face and selling the effects of the superkick, and Patterson helps Vince out of the ring and down the stairs but Vince slips and falls on top of Patterson, which I assume had to be a rib. Vince then calls him a stupid son of a bitch, as Shane encourages his father to punch Patterson. 
And to further emphasize my suspicion that this is a rib, I'm pretty sure that Vince Patterson and Briscoe are all trying to hide the fact that they're laughing at this point. Pretty amusing. Bossman and Shamrock then help Vince walk backstage as Patterson and Briscoe yell at Kane to follow them. And that is how we wrap things up. Truthfully, I think the fans were expecting Stone Cold to show up at the end there, but for the third week in a row, both he and The Undertaker are completely absent from Raw. But now, here's the real question. Why remove Shawn Michaels from the commissioner position just five weeks after he was given the role? In my opinion, I thought he was awesome as the super dickhead heel authority figure, so why have him turn face and super kick Vince so soon into his tenure? Well, the answer is, he could no longer put off the back surgery that he needed, which stemmed from that injury he suffered in his Royal Rumble casket match with The Undertaker almost one year ago. Yes, sadly, HBK ends up having that surgery just a few weeks after this episode airs, so unfortunately, they had to take him out of the commissioner role. A damn shame, if you ask me. And also, depending on who you believe, he was also pretty fucked up on drugs around this time. Yikes. But regardless, thank you, Shawn Michaels, for five wonderful weeks of heelish entertainment. Your douchebag antics will be sorely missed. However, we're not done yet, so on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. I freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more homes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. The WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap Well, actually, before we get into the ratings, we need to cover a very important pay-per-view in the history of WCW, which occurred the night before, and that would be Starcade 1998. On this night, a hugely pivotal decision was made, one that, it could be argued, swiftly contributed to the demise of the company. So with that in mind, here's a quick rundown of the Starcade card. Billy Kidman defeated Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrera in a triple threat match to retain his cruiserweight title, and then, after the match ended, an angry Eddie Guerrero challenged Kidman to a match right then and there, and Kidman defeated him too. Norman Smiley defeated Prince Iakea because clearly this is a Starcade caliber match. Perry Saturn defeated Ernest the Cat Miller. Brian Adams and Scott Norton defeated Fit Finley and Jerry Flynn, and I repeat, this is friggin' Starcade. Conan defeated Chris Jericho to retain his World Television Championship. And Diamond Dallas Page defeated The Giant. Those were your lower-tier matches, but now let's jump into the two most high-profile matches from the show, beginning with Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff. To quickly recap, back in April, Bischoff filed a real-life lawsuit against Flair for $2 million for skipping out on a Thunder taping to attend his son Reed's wrestling tournament. Eventually, both sides came to an agreement, and Flair returned to WCW on the September 14th episode of Nitro, where he confronted Bischoff and gave his classic, Fire me! I'm already fired! promo, which was awesome stuff. The two have basically been feuding since September, with one of the more infamous moments occurring two weeks ago when a riled-up Flair suffered a kayfabe heart attack in the ring while he was ranting and raving about how much he wanted to kill Bischoff. Not great. 
But so, given how much this angle was playing off the real-life animosity between the two men, and given the fact that the fans absolutely love Flair, it only seems to make sense that he would defeat Bischoff, a non-wrestler, at the biggest pay-per-view of the year, and get his triumphant moment, right? Right? Well... At one point, Flair had Bischoff in the figure four, but referee Charles Robinson had been knocked unconscious. And that presented the perfect opportunity for Kurt Hennig, of all people, to run to the ring and hand Bischoff some brass knuckles, which allowed him to KO Flair. And by the way, this is made worse by the fact that Bischoff's punch looked incredibly weak. Charles Robinson then recovered, made the count, and yes, on the biggest show of the year... Eric Bischoff scores a pinfall victory over Ric Flair. Just couldn't help himself, could he? They continue this angle on Nitro, so I'll get into that in just a bit, but it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth that Bischoff went over Flair here. Yeesh. But then, it was time for the main event. WCW World Heavyweight Champion Goldberg versus Kevin Nash in a no-disqualification match. At this point, Goldberg's winning streak stood at 173 wins and zero losses, and NWO Wolfpack leader Kevin Nash was coming off a victory in the 60-man World War III Battle Royal, so this was a pretty convincing challenge to Goldberg's streak. With that being said, I think the prevailing wisdom going into this show was that Goldberg would retain his title. He had defeated Hulk Hogan at that massive Georgia Dome show in July to win the title, and yes, at this point, there was a sizable contingent of fans who were starting to turn against him, but he was still red hot. So how did the match play out? Well, let's dive in. Toward the end, Goldberg hit Nash with a power slam and a dropkick, seemingly preparing to finish him off. However, at that point, Disco Inferno jumped up on the ring apron and tried to interfere. Yes, Disco Inferno is a key part of the Starcade main event. His gimmick at this point was that he was trying to endear himself to the Wolfpack so he could be part of the group, but he didn't make a convincing case here because Goldberg wiped him out with a spear in short order. From there, Bam Bam Bigelow, the man who had been feuding with Goldberg off and on over the past few weeks, entered the ring, but Goldberg quickly dispatched him with a clothesline over the top rope. And at this point, even though this is a no-disqualification match, WCW officials and security guards rush over to Bam Bam and try to prevent him from re-entering the ring. That distracts the referee, and from there, a familiar face in a yellow event staff shirt jumps up on the ring apron with a rather, uh, interesting weapon. So let's pick it up from there. Meanwhile, Nash gets a break! Champion of the world, 
so yes, as you heard there, Scott Hall zapped Goldberg with a cattle prod as though he was the fucking Mountie in 1992, and Nash, who apparently didn't see what happened, then finished Goldberg off with a jackknife powerbomb to pick up the one, the two, and the three. Your winner, the man who ended Goldberg's streak, and now the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Kevin Nash. So that's it, folks. At a point in time when WCW was struggling to keep pace with the WWF, they just killed arguably the most compelling angle they had going. At this point, I think it's safe to say that if they really wanted to end the streak, they needed to follow it up with some compelling storylines to get the fans to stay tuned, now that Goldberg is about 90% less interesting. So where would they go from here? We'll find out on Nitro. Before we do that, however, I'm going to give you some quick numbers. Starcade 98 did approximately 460,000 pay-per-view buys, which was WCW's second most purchased show of the year, behind only Bash at the Beach 1998, which featured the Dennis Rodman-Carl Malone match. The 460,000 buys is actually about 240,000 fewer buys than Starcade 1997 did, but remember that that particular show was headlined by the Hogan vs. Sting main event, and it was the most purchased show in the history of WCW. 460,000 buys is still a very strong number, and it was almost 200,000 more buys than the WWF's rock-bottom pay-per-view achieved two weeks prior. From an entertainment perspective, the show may not have been a home run, but financially, it was a big success for WCW. So how would they follow it up? Let's quickly jump into Nitro the night after, starting with the match results. Ernest the Cat Miller defeated Shima Nobunaga. Norman Smiley defeated Chavo Guerrero. Booker T defeated Fit Finley. Barry Windham defeated Prince Iakea. Eddie Guerrero and Juventud Guerrera defeated Kidman and Rey Mysterio, and this is an awesome fucking match, by the way. Scott Steiner defeated Conan to win the World Television Championship. Scott Hall defeated Brian Adams. And then, in your main event, well, before we get there, I have to mention the promo that Ric Flair cuts, because it's amazing. This is the infamous promo where he literally starts tearing up $100 bills, he strips down to his boxer shorts, and he tells Bischoff that he'll be naked in the ring if they cut the camera off. But perhaps more importantly, Flair makes a challenge to Bischoff for tonight on Nitro. I'm not leaving Baltimore till you and I get something straight. I'm telling you, Bischoff, I will leave the wrestling World forever. I will sign my house, my cars, whatever money I have, I'll sign it over to you. I will give you the satisfaction of saying the nature boy. If you have the you know what to walk the aisle. Here, tonight, one more time. He called him out. Oh, oh, whoa. You've got thousands of dollars laid out here. You'll sign everything over you want. But, but, the one stipulation that I'm begging you, God, I'm begging you, Bishop, be a man. If by the grace of the good Lord, woo! I beat you. I get to run WCW 
for 90 days. Get out of here. And the first thing I'm going to do is take your head out of Hogan's ass. Woo! By the way, in case you're wondering what that bleep was, Flair said, quote, I will give you the satisfaction of saying you raped the nature boy, so all right then. But now the challenge is set for tonight. Flair versus Bischoff one more time. If Flair wins, he gets control of WCW for 90 days, but if he loses, he's out of wrestling forever. So the match mostly consists of Flair beating the shit out of Bischoff, but eventually the NWO comes to the ring to help out. The four horsemen are able to keep them at bay for a while, but eventually the giant enters the ring and headbutts Flair. He signals for the chokeslam, but before he can deliver it, Macho Man Randy Savage makes his return to WCW for the first time in six months. Savage is wearing an NWO shirt, so it initially appears that he's on the giant's side, but then he gives Giant a low blow and clotheslines him over the top rope. Savage then exits and tears off his NWO shirt, leaving Flair and Bischoff alone in the ring. And from there, Flair locks on the figure four, causing Bischoff to submit, so it is now official, Ric Flair will run WCW for the next 90 days. And to make this ending even better, not only do the four horsemen enter the ring to celebrate, but so do a bunch of other WCW wrestlers and personnel, even Tony Schiavone, who gets up from his commentator position. Everyone is joyful, including the fans, and it really is an awesome way to go off the air. Now, with that being said, there is one more moment from this show that I need to touch on, and it pertains to that whole ending Goldberg streak thing. On this episode of Nitro, Kevin Nash came to the ring alongside Lex Luger and Conan, and he proceeded to issue a challenge for next week. Bill Goldberg, the last thing I want to cover is respect. I got nothing but respect for you. And to make this right, like I said, having the world championship belt gives you a lot of power. So what I'm saying is I'm not asking the committee. I'm demanding next Monday night, me and you, Goldberg, in Atlanta for the belt. Oh, yes. I made some mistakes last night. I won't make them again. But there's one thing I got to say, because I got to know. I think Big Sexy can kick your ass, and I'm going to give it my best shot. Georgia Dome will never be the same. You know, it's ironic, because I look at this belt, it's still got Bill's name on it. Goldberg, you beat me next Monday. It's yours. If not, it's going to say Nash. So there you have it. Next week in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, WCW's home base, it will be Kevin Nash versus Goldberg for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in a rematch from Starcade. Remember, they're advertising this a week in advance and selling tickets based on the fact that there will be a Nash-Goldberg rematch, so clearly... It definitely has to happen. How will it all play out? Well, you'll just have to listen to the next episode when William Rankin joins the show for our Raw slash Nitro mega episode. And to finally put a cap on this segment, oh yeah, it would help if I covered the television ratings during the ratings recap portion of the podcast. 
On this night, bolstered by the interest in Starcade, Nitro spiked up dramatically from a 3.99 last week all the way up to a 4.59 this week. But as for the WWF, Raw still managed to defeat Nitro with a 4.87 rating. If you're WCW, that has to be pretty deflating. The episode of Nitro, which airs the night after your biggest pay-per-view of the year, loses to an episode of Raw without Stone Cold Steve Austin, whose quote-unquote main event is Shawn Michaels super-kicking Vince McMahon. That has to hurt. You've got to think Eric Bischoff must be getting pretty desperate at this point, and we'll get a sense of that desperation on the next episode of this podcast. But for now, let's wrap it up with the Raw Synopsis. Unfortunately, I would say that this is an episode of Raw, which you could skip entirely. As strange as it is to say, it almost feels like they were mailing in this episode because they knew they would be up against the post-Starcade episode of Nitro, but they still beat them in the ratings anyway. Of the seven matches we had on the card, five of them ended via disqualification, including the opening hardcore title match and the two matches which didn't end in a DQ, both contained outside interference. It's getting a bit out of hand at this point, folks. In terms of the other stuff on the show, I guess I would recommend checking out the segment where Shawn Michaels super kicks Vince McMahon because the crowd was ridiculously hot for it, and I'd also recommend seeking out the Vince and Shane training montage. So essentially, I guess what I'm saying is, Vince McMahon was the MVP of this show. So yes, feel free to skip this episode of Raw, but please, by all means, whatever you do, make sure that you watch the January 4th, 1999 episode of Raw before William Rankin and I cover it in the next episode. I can't speak to the overall quality of the show since I haven't watched the full thing in years, but there is one moment on the episode which makes it all worthwhile. Drop what you're doing and go watch it right now. I promise you won't be disappointed. So on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. And of course, don't forget patreon.com slash rawattitudepodcast where you can get all sorts of bonus content. I have nothing further to add about this episode, and so, to get you in the right frame of mind for the upcoming Raw vs. Nitro Mega episode with William Rankin, I will leave you now with a clip from the WWE Network's Monday Night Wars episode titled Who's Next, where the end of Goldberg's streak is discussed. Some of the people you'll hear give their takes include Goldberg himself, the late Dusty Rhodes, William Regal, Kevin Sullivan, and every wrestling fan's favorite person, CM Punk. So enjoy that clip, and I will catch you next time. Goldberg's World Championship reign was keeping WCW neck and neck with WWE in the Monday Night Ratings. But trouble was brewing behind the scenes at WCW. There were a lot of people throughout the entire process that were pissed off that I was one of the guys heading the company and I hadn't paid my dues. Yet, you know, I've been bleeding on the football field for 25 years. So, I guess that doesn't count. The factions involved 
the egos involved against him. Meaning Hulk Hogan, the Kevin Nashes. They couldn't stand it. They couldn't wait to beat this guy. In December of 1998, despite political unrest, Goldberg's streak had reached 173 consecutive victories. I don't think Goldberg back in uh, September of 1997 in his first match that he won against Hugh Morris on WCW Monday Nitro ever thought that a little bit over a year later he would have the gold strap and be the headliner at the biggest event of the year, but here he is. But the unblemished record was about to meet its demise. Here we truly have a monster star. We need to capitalize on this. This can be the saving grace of this company. And they messed it up. Egos, petty jealousies, just a lot of nonsense. Bam Bam's in! What is this? Remember, this is no disqualification. WCW seemed to always have like a great thing and they would always seem to like to stick themselves in the eye and ruin it. You know, Goldberg, great idea, awesome. He was their guy, but it was, they just like to shoot themselves in the foot. Should we zap him with a taser? Good idea. Not a good idea. It's horrible. Garbage. In this industry, when something gets hot, you run with it. You don't zap it with a taser. Oh, no. Wait a minute. He... He Once they did that horse finish, that was the crack in the dam. The floods were ready to come. Was it the time for the streak to end? Who knows? That's not my decision. Was it done the way I would have done it? Hell no. Absolutely not.